Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact? You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. Hello, my name's Mark Billingham and welcome to A Stab in the Dark, UK TV's crime podcast. That invites some of the biggest names from the worlds of crime fiction and TV crime drama to come into our incident room for a cosy natter. So far in series two, I've chewed the fat with Ian Rankin, Belinda Bauer, Sarah Hillary, Laura Lippman, and David Simon. Yes, The Wire's David Simon. This week, we've got a shorter episode for you, and it features our man with the spyglass, Paul Hirons, speaking with award winning American author Bill Beverly at this year's Crime Fest in Bristol. Paul, it's over to you. Yes, thank you, Mark. And I am indeed here with CWA Gold Dagger winner, Bill Beverly. Thanks for joining us, Bill, and welcome to A Stab in the Dark. Thank you for having me. Good morning, Paul. Is it kind of odd for you to be in the UK when Dodgers is out there now and, and, and got so much acclaim and, and success? It is actually uh, very pleasant to be in the UK. Uh, no Exit is Dodgers' British publisher, and they've uh, done a fabulous job. Um, Packaging it and 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 getting it out. Um, uh, as you know, um, Britons re- reacted uh, far more positively than than I could have dreamed um, to the book, and so it's it's very nice to be able to get here. So let's talk about Dodgers. If our listeners haven't read it yet, could you just talk us through the premise and how how, how it all fits together? Sure. Uh, Dodgers is about a fifteen year old kid. His name is East. He lives in a neighborhood, a fictional neighborhood in in Los Angeles called The Boxes. And East is a watchman for a drug house run by an organization that that he's a part of, his uncle is the director of. Uh, East leads a gang that watches this house, that insulates it from trouble, that serves as an early warning system should the police come down the street, for example. And one morning, and East is very, very good at this job. He has never imagined really doing anything else. Um, He's intelligent. He's watchful. He's quiet. He understands what needs to be done. One morning, very early in the book, the house, however, is is taken down by a, a overwhelming show of force by the police. They roll in in dozens of cars, and and there's a shootout, and and the house and and East's job are lost. And it is, of course, though he couldn't have stopped it, his fault. He heads in to face the music, uh, to accept the blame and the punishment for this failure. And he's given one option, 
tomorrow morning, get in a sort of nondescript van with three other young men, drive across the country, and murder a man. This is far above his pay grade. He's never engaged in that sort of work before, and, and he's never left Los Angeles before, but because East is, we might say, a good kid, he says yes. Wow, I don't quite know what to say about that. That's a heck of a, a premise, isn't it? And it it deals with uh, kind of almost like a forgotten side of America, these urban street kids that, you know, have been kind of examining things like the why and stuff like that. But it, talk to us about the urbanness of East's kind of surroundings and how that kind of influences his life and indeed the stuff. Because you, you used to, you've done a lot of research into criminal justice and, and all the rest of it in the, in the US, haven't you? Well, I have. I, I most of my research is not um, is not current, nor is it sociological or criminological. Um, I'm a literary scholar, and I I did work on on. I did some reading in criminology, but my interest is uh, principally in old fugitive stories and and contemporary fugitive stories. the The topic came to me when I was. Uh, a graduate student in the 90s, and and a day that was important was the day in 1994 when O.J. Simpson went on his uh, white Bronco lamb around and through Los Angeles um, when he was wanted for questioning in the deaths of his wife and, a, and another man. Um, East is a is a product certainly of an of an urban economy. Um, an economy that we, uh, the United States, and that 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 most Western nations have have marked out as criminal economies, even as uh, as almost indistinguishable other trades are are um, proceeding, maybe in another neighborhood, in another zip code, um, utterly above board, right? Um, I visited actually Washington D.C., where where I teach and uh, where I live about a mile outside the, the city limit, uh, has just made marijuana, um, decriminalized it. It's not fully legal. You can't sell it, but you can, in private space, smoke it. And, of course, that is something that we've put many, many people in prison for. Um, but now we've given moneyed interests the, um, the ability to, to continue to make money, to make more and more money from that industry. Um, I, I think of East as, I, I don't think of uh, the drug trade in America without some ambivalence and, and without acknowledging that, that it has its costs and complications. But I, I think of East as a, um, I think of the drug trade as, as a gray area in law. And I, I think of East as a very smart, very disciplined kid who has been a victim of, of any number of gray areas. Um, and do you see that gray area with how the states is at the moment and the political developments and what's going on in DC? I'm, I don't want to get into your, well you can if you want, please do, but um, what's happening in the states at the moment is, is that gray area getting bigger and larger or is it shrinking? What's the, what's the feeling there at the moment? Well, I think the Republicans in power um, 
have have more or less announced that um, that they think the uh, liberalization of marijuana laws is a is a great ethical mistake. Um, the uh, they will announce that you know um, fully hepped up on on uh, on mood stabilizers and Viagra, um, but. Uh, but of course, when when black or Latino people on the streets, um, or young poor white people on the streets, are are selling drugs, uh, we're not going to have that. Um, yet I don't think that those um, federal efforts or, or or that federal rhetoric towards uh, strengthening drug laws. Um, begins to drum up again, I'm not sure that it can overtake the momentum both in individual state governments and on a national level that our laws have been persecutory, if, if have, they have been fundamentally unfair um, and have uh, uh, and have wreaked havoc. I, I mean, I think the American public, even as it hides its head in the sand about a, a great many pressing problems, has begun to realize the toll we have wreaked in Colombia and Mexico, just to name two nations, as we have increased demand for the products and at the same time um, made criminal the production of those products and the importation of those products. Um, I'm not sure that the I'm not sure that the effort to strengthen laws again can can outpace the changing of the of the times. Well, it's I mean we could talk about that all day. It's such a complex issue, I think. And as you said, there's a supply and demand issue. There's all kinds of things going on. But let's get back to East because he sounds like a classic almost anti-hero, if you like, or kind of a, a guy that is kind of good at heart but is in a bad situation and get, gets put into an even worse situation. So is Dodgers a noir story? I don't know that it is. Um, I don't know that it is in its character a, a noir story. Um, that's a, it's, it's also a question that, that, we might, we might, uh, that we might steep for a while. Um, there is a good amount of Dodgers that that is uh, noir stylistically. Um, that I mean, I I grew up reading Kane and Chandler and admiring. You know, they live by night, and um, and once that toxin is in your blood, it's it's hard to it's hard to wash it all the way out. And you mentioned the fugitive element, and the fugitive is such a uh, a popular and not common so much anymore, but a device that's been used a lot. It feels like an old school kind of device in crime fiction, the fugitive. Can you talk about your love of fugitive stories and where that comes from? What, 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 is, a, what is a better um, framework to build a story on than a, than a fugitive story, right? You, I mean, you, you begin with a crime. Um, the identification, rightfully or wrongfully, right? It doesn't really matter of a suspect. Um, and so a character becomes the focus of intense desire and attention um, at the same time that he or she 
tries to evade it, right? There's a there's a fundamental conflict. There's a there's a sort of fiction writing 101 um, setup. And 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 where is that story going to go? It's it's a, the most mundane and pedestrian of encounters in a grocery store or along a roadside um, have have a constant potential of menace. Um, of a child recognizing you, of of the of Flannery O'Connor's grandmother going, I seen you, I know who you are. You're the misfit, right? Um, where the whole story, you know, has to then turn. Um, that story is gonna, that fugitive story is gonna barrel towards some sort of conclusion, which, which might be a, you know, there are the, it's, it's easier to imagine the shootout the apprehension, the decision to come back in out of the cold, um, than it is to imagine the alternative. What is the escape from being a wanted man? Um, what is the paradise that one gets to? In, in, in Jim Thompson's The Getaway, there is the escape to a, to a paradise, but of course that paradise is, is vampire-like in its, um, in its handling of the, the couple that get away. And you mentioned a lot of kind of um, classic noir writers there, Jim Thompson, James L. Kane, all that kind of stuff. Um, and stylistically, you said you kind of tried to get there with Dodgers. Are there any other writers that kind of have influenced your your work at all? Uh, sure. I mean, I come out of a, a long, m entirely unremarkable career <laughs> trying to write short stories in the in in the mold of uh laurie moore perhaps um stuart dieback and and but i'm um i'm influenced as much as as much as anyone by uh dennis johnson and and by james baldwin i think they're the two greatest american stylists and and i i discovered johnson first right with with Jesus' son, and then his, and then his first book of prose, *Angels*, um, and I've read his work since with with admiration. Um, it took me a long time before I discovered Baldwin, um, who is as beautiful as Johnson is, and and hurts even more. Um, you mentioned the word paradise there a person trying to get to their own personal paradise, whatever that might be. For someone like East, what, what is their personal paradise, do you think? I don't know that East has ever, I don't know that East ever does in the space of Dodgers, um, even dare to think of that. He is a particularly ascetic character. He lives in the not even the basement, the sort of crawl space behind, below an industrial building in a, in a sort of office park um, just off the neighborhood where he guards his house. Um, he, has, he has left his home. He, he doesn't live in a pack, in a sort of den with other boys. Um, and, but he is a, he's a tremendously tense character. He is he watches the street, he watches for signs, um, and he, he gives a lot of evidence of being you know, sort of chronically overstimulated by the number of, of um, moving objects that he must track, right, on a, you know, on a 12-hour shift seven days a week. Um, and 
what we see him yearning for is, is quiet and peace, much more than any sort of materialistic or, or geographically specific um, end point. Well, I think we'll leave it there because I think that's what we're all after, a bit of peace and quiet, aren't we, after a weekend like this? Bill, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks for the time. Paul, pleasure. Thank you. Thanks, Paul. Fantastic stuff. I'll be back next week where I'll be talking to none other than Sherlock co-creator and writer, the brilliant Mark Gatiss. In the meantime, you can find out more about A Stab in the Dark at uktv.co.uk slash dark. Or get in touch with us on Twitter, hashtag a stab in the dark. Plus, don't forget to review us on your podcast app. Your feedback really does make a difference. So if you like the show, please rate and review us. Pretty please. And just a quick reminder, you can watch the best crime drama every day on UK TV channels, Alibi and Drama. And thanks to our producers, Paul Hirons, Joel Porter and John Lemon. My name's Mark Billingham and thanks for listening. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns.